0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday On South podcast. I am Conor Guerra. Will, great show. We got lined up today. It's Keo Spikes. He's going to hop on with us in a bit. Great conversation with the Auburn legend. He had me absolutely rolling at the end. He is a funny dude. He really is. Uh, and then we're going to talk about all things sleep in figuring it out. But first, um, so I wanted to wait for you to come back from your work trip in order to weigh in on the SEC schedule topic because I'm admitting like I am coming at this from a very different angle without a dog in the fight. So Mm -hmm. I am fully aware that everybody's going to act out of their own best interest. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you missed this. So last week, Nick Saban told Ross Dellinger sports illustrated, Hey, Bama's proposed annual three rivals going to be Auburn LSU, Tennessee. And uh, Saban wasn't happy said, I don't know how they've come to that decision. Basically, like, all right, the goat ain't happy. There's a reason why this was leaked by Nick Saban. Um, I know why th- they came to this decision. <laughs> Do you know why they came to this decision? If you just had to venture a guess on why Alabama would end up with the likes of Auburn, LSU,
1: and Tennessee. Money.
0: Yeah, well, yeah.
1: As Mr. Money. Krabs would say. <laughs>
0: yes money it's always money uh three rivalry games those three specifically they moved the needle and up until like basically last year Tennessee showed that it had a pulse for the first time in two decades we would have said that there was competitive balance in that and we wouldn't have said wow that looks pretty lopsided but of course now Saban like is coming out saying hey this isn't fair look at what LSU did last year look what Tennessee did last year and Auburn has been
1: to Auburn is also in the SEC so that's another team that he has to play Auburn exists. Never mind the fact <laughs> that they went five and seven last year. Uh, Saban has clearly tried to get out
0: ahead of this because he feels like his team is getting screwed. That's what this comes down to. He supports playing more Power Five teams. He likes the game of he likes the idea of a nine game conference schedule. He has been on board with that. This isn't Saban running scared, but his argument is that Bama's three annual rivals are going to be tougher than everyone else's. For what it's worth, I don't have a problem with Saban sort of raising a stink about this, the optics might make it look like you're afraid of competition, but you can kind of point to the rings and you can point to the future non-conference schedule that Bama has. Bama's not afraid of competition because if it was, it wouldn't have started the new trend that I've been talking about for a while. That is multiple power five opponents in non-conference play in the latter half of the decade. Bama will have at least two power five opponents in non-conference play every year from 2025 to 2034. 10 years of that and none of them are going to be some our neutral site deals okay we're talking home and home strictly here bam's going to usf this year they're going to see our guy alex golish totally oh, yeah. forgot to ask him about that talking to them for 40 minutes forgot to bring up the fact that they're hosting bama this year
1: i know i'm sure he thinks about that like once a day he's yeah like, oh, crap we got <laughs> i don't think <laughs> i don't even think you do
0: at that point you're when you're taking over a one and eleven team you- that's a good know- point Hope the boys have fun against Bama.
1: We'll think about that next go round if we get him again.
0: Yeah, like eventually you'd like to get to a point where you could be thinking about that, but you are not. You've got a billion other things that are uh, of more significance probably. Um, So if you're telling yourself that that playoff expansion comes with zero upside and that it's going to kill the regular season, remember that we're seeing a bunch of elite teams now actually have the freedom to load up their non-conference schedule and add more of these premier games. If you disagree with that, Go look at Georgia's schedule, which has not one, not two, but three power five opponents in non-conference play each season from 2026 through 2030. That's a lot. They're basically saying we're playing 11 power five opponents, probably going to end up playing 12 unless they want to cancel one of those matchups. That is going to be a ton of competition for Georgia. So if Saban and these elite teams are loading up a non-conference play, why is he then so upset about the possibility of facing LSU, Tennessee and Auburn on an annual basis? For starters, he's complaining about it now because this is the time to do it. And because when he speaks, people listen. And it makes the news cycle. If Eli Drinkowitz comes out and complains about this, we're like, shut up, Mazoo. Like, come on, what are we doing here?
1: Bama Another stray in Adam Spencer's time of the year. Wow.
0: Look, at, look, look, all right, all right. We like drink. Recurring guests of the Saturday Down South podcast, okay? But he, he would be the first to admit Saban's words carry just a little bit more weight than his do. That's fair. that's facts. I believe the schedules are about to become more fair than our current system Because if and when divisions are changed, and this is the model with three permanent teams and six rotating home and homes, you are getting more schedule flexibility in a good way. Teams right now basically have seven permanent rivals, okay? Because you got six teams that you face every year in your division. You got your one annual crossover. That is seven permanent rivals. It feels magnified who your three permanent rivals are. And in many ways it is. I get that. Where I'll push back on this is if you actually map these schedules out and take the team with the three toughest permanent rivals against the team who has maybe the most favorable setup with their three permanent rivals, you'll be surprised. You'll line this up, you'll, you'll map out the schedule, and you'll be like, huh, they actually look basically the same. They really do. I know this because I did this a month ago. I did this entire exercise. I played it out. I ended up being like, okay, this team, probably the most difficult, this team, the least difficult. Let's map out what a nine game conference schedule would look like for both. And I came away thinking, yeah,
1: both seem really difficult
0: they're they're not getting off easy they're just not that hey, is look, those ruddy.
1: two optional uh vandy games that are not tennessee buddy i'm sure they were chopping at the bit for those whenever they were ready to hand those out <laughs> i mean how would they not of course
0: we know this yeah. even though we are Clark Lee respecters in this podcast i was about to
1: say things have changed now that Clark lee's in town though so you might not not you might not get what you signed up for if you're begging for that
0: this could be a 2020 arkansas situation where all of a sudden you know you yeah and that's the other thing to keep in mind These things do change. They change in a hurry. Imagine Mm -hmm. if you were told after the 2019 season, or after the 2020 season, I should say, "Hey, Tennessee's going to be your annual rival." (laughs) You're looking at yourself, easy money, 15 straight for saving. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're good. We're cool, man. That's an automatic win every single year. Like they're they got to rebuild their entire roster. Like no way. And now, of course, they're they just won 11 games, New Year's Six Bowl victory, probably starting off around the top 10 like yeah these
1: things change so it's really hard to pin this down but hold on real no, quick you actually just made a point I was going to make later it's crazy that you got there too but it's like you know how much does Josh Heupel change how angry Saban is right because even like two years ago I don't even think he would have been mad it was just like oh yeah you know Gus Albert, we're kind of used to that obviously you got to play the iron bowl like if he's trying to not play the iron bowl that's on him LSU is a big game every year I joked about it not getting played but we all knew it was going to get played But it feels like the X-Factor is kind of Tennessee because that was a penciled-in W for, like I said, smooth 10-plus years for Alabama. And now it's like, this is so tough. And it's like, that's really a massive credit to what Tennessee's done, I feel.
0: It is. And that's that's one of the reasons why I think Saban – was very outwardly against the three proposed. And again, this isn't official as of this recording, Thursday, March 9th, 4.30 p.m. Um, this isn't official yet. This is just proposed. But I don't think he would admit this. I do, however, think truth serum Nick Saban would admit that he's not thrilled about this possibility. And you bring up Heupel. Tennessee, see, uh, Josh Heupel just beat Bama in year two. Hung half a hundred on them. LSU with Brian Kelly. Beat Bama in year one. He gets top five talent on an annual basis. Auburn. Hugh Freeze. Beat Bama in consecutive years at Ole Miss, as we know. Also, really difficult to go to Jordan-Hare. You're looking at those three coaches. Three of the five coaches in the SEC who can claim to have beaten Nick Saban. The other two being Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher. Am I forgetting anybody else? I don't think so. No, I don't no. think so. That's, yeah. that's it. Um, so you're, you're, if you're saving, you're like, wait a minute, you're, that's what they're, that's what they're giving me. They're setting up this scenario in which the of the five guys in the conference who have beaten me get to face me on an annual basis all because they want their TV money. That's why he's pushing back. And that is why this is also different than it was in 2020 Remember 2020, they were never going to tweak the schedules to suddenly make the path more difficult for Bama and Georgia to win a title. That was Mm -hmm. the theme that we saw when we went to conference-only schedules. It wasn't just in the SEC. The Big Ten did the same exact thing with Ohio State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Arkansas and Mizzou and the SEC end up getting the brunt of it in 2020 because it was simply about making sure that your contenders had a path to the playoff. It was one year. The hay was already in the barn with the TV contracts. Nothing was changing as a result of that. With the new TV contract, which will inevitably have new figures with Texas and Oklahoma joining and likely with the 3-6 model that will be announced, I would imagine, sometime soon in the coming weeks, coming months here, the goal is going to be able to sell as many of these marquee games as possible because now, and this is the difference, this is the key thing to remember, gone are the days in which you have to be a one-loss team to make the playoff. So commissioners oh, yeah. like Greg Sankey and whoever decides to replace Kevin Warren with the big 10, they don't have to decide. Am I screwing over my best team? They don't have to worry about that. They don't, I know this sounds weird, but the sec is still trying to make the gap that the big 10 has been able to get fi- from a financial standpoint, because remember the sec was in that 15 year deal with CBS that paid them $55 million a year of baffling to look back on. Truly um, knowing now each SEC school eh, probably going to get somewhere in the sixty to seventy million range once this new TV contract with ESPN starts in twenty twenty four. So think about that. Each school is going to be getting sixty to seventy million bucks as opposed to the previous time, in which wow, uh, CBS yeah. fifty five million for the entire conference. The it's a bargain right there. Toe? It's the bargain of the century. It is <laughs> probably the single biggest TV bargain. That, that we saw in big revenue sports in the 21st century, what CBS had with the SEC, truly. And that's why they are no longer partners and why they couldn't compete. The playoff is in mind, and I always talk about that. The SEC scheduling model is is going to be something that, like they're, when they're sitting at the table, they're making sure that they're not screwing their playoff chances, okay? But if 9-3 and three is the new threshold for a 12-team playoff, you can make the determination that there's more to gain than there is to lose by giving your premier teams a schedule more focused on rivalries than competitive balance. You mm-hmm. can, you really can't. I mean, the SI the SI story said that the that the SEC is using like a 10-year metric to try and determine what competitive balance is. And it's not that they're disregarding that, because obviously if you were just looking at what moves the needle the most, you're going to give Alabama, Georgia, you're going to give them LSU and you'd give them A&M. And that's probably what this would look like, knowing what we know about the history with those programs. So does that kind of make sense as to why Saban has a point, but he's also saying he's also not looking at it through the same lens that everybody else is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we really like kick this around and had like, a, I think a good convo you know, some time ago, I feel like forever ago now, um, because time is now a flat circle. Uh, but yeah, whatever we talked about, you know, uh, one and seven. So one permanent opponent, seven fluctuating opponents with an eight game conference schedule, and then three and six with a nine game schedule. And then when you factor in kind of a little bit of secrets also, we just talked about, which relates to another conversation that we had about how teams can just lose now. It's just not that big of a deal to lose. And so I think that that was the only argument against the nine game conference schedule, because, you know, we talked about how having more conference games can be bad. We talk about the big 10 and the mistakes that they've made having, you know, that extra conference game. So I think that that, like, the Big Ten doing that was still dumb because it wasn't in this era. So the unexamming- Exactly. That's the key. That's the key. Right. And so it's like, they weren't right. <laughs> like, it's just... No, they it's weren't. the fact that the things are different now and the fact that you can sustain those losses because the, the X factor is always the losses, right? It's like, what if you lose one of those games? And so now it's like, well, it really doesn't matter. Like, honestly, like, if you... I mean... We, we talked about it, like how how lame it could be for a rivalry game to be this massive thing, and kind of like then there'd be a rematch with a different result in the postseason. The initial one doesn't matter, and I'm not crazy about that, but at the same time, you know, the 12 team is where we're going. So I really don't, like, I try to be really fair when I talk about Nick Saban. I, like, you know, give him, you know, crap because he's a former LSU coach, but I just don't see it here. Like, I don't know what he would want out of this because it's like each of the, like Alabama specifically – All three of those rivalries are very good. Like they've been things that like I feel like have had great moments. And like I said, like I mean, how many imagine if the Iron Bowl were simply just not played in 2013? Like imagine like imagine that. So it's like that's kind of how I view it. And it's like as a, and, and it is kind of, like, disingenuous because, like I said, you talk about beating LSU about eight or nine times. Let's pretend that that didn't happen. So whatever, whatever made-up number they beat us in a row, that happened. And then that was con- uh, consecutive – what's it called? Uh, at the same time as Tennessee where they was just beating both of these rivals. Concurrent. concurrent. There we go. Thank you. It was concurrent to that. And Auburn was the only one that would basically win the home games there. And they were the only ones that could really, in the you know, like non-randomly beat Alabama. And so it's like, yeah, like those were, like – it, 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 I, I feel like all those games are really good. Going back to like the Mount Cody game against Tennessee, going to all these really heartbreaking other shoe games that we again don't need to get into. Um, So, yeah, I think that like if you're Alabama, you got to just like, receive your blessings, man, and know that like you're not going to be left out of this playoff no matter what happens. You can lose five games, they'll find a way to get you in. So, like, I don't really know why this any of this matters to Nick Saban because he's he, I think, still has the old mentality. I think he's like, I don't want to lose. And it's like, bro, like, do you think Nick Saban and Alabama, okay, buddy, just as the money wants you to play these three games they want you in the postseason buddy so even if you have three or four losses you gonna be in there 12c alabama sounds like a nightmare nobody wants to play (laughs) they're bank they're banking on bama
0: figuring out sankey is banking on no matter and look you can't make it so blatant and i would argue that's not that blatant i mean it's not blatant to the point where we're like oh my god this is this is clearly just a money grab I would still look at that and say, yeah, Bama's schedule more difficult with the three permanent rivals. Somebody's gonna have the most difficult. It's mm-hmm. not gonna be perfect. You could do this exercise a million times, and I would gar- I'd be able to poke holes in every single every single possible formula that you come up with if you tell me I have achieved competitive balance perfectly. Somebody's gonna find a way to get short-ended a little bit here. But are you still making schedules more fair? Yes. Are well, dude, you... it's
1: disingenuous, too, because look what Auburn's had to deal with for the last, like, half look
2: century. Look what they would still
0: have to deal with. So Ross Ellinger leaked this and, like, said, like, this is what the, the proposal is. And a tweet that's actually not deleted, interestingly <laughs> enough, was, like, deleted on Wednesday, I want to say. Or deleted on Thursday, like, right before we were going to come on. Because mm-hmm. I actually had this pulled up in the morning, um, and it's no longer there. I wonder wonder what's happening behind closed doors with that. Um but I mean, you could certainly look, up, like you can find whoever your your team's three permanent proposed rivals were, but like you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. There wasn't any like one specific one that I would look at and say, oh my God, just getting absolutely railroaded. Like I, I can guarantee you other coaches will be upset based on the three proposed rivals, at least what it currently looks like. Like I, I broke this down and said, Bama, yeah, three. One of the three most difficult roads. Auburn as well, because they still have Bama, Georgia, which I didn't think was going to be possible. They also have Vandy, and then Florida, who also who would have Georgia, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. So, I like I'm looking at it from that standpoint, and I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, th- those coaches, those three coaches, probably be a little bit upset. And then the easiest, I looked at Mizzou, who would have Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Vandy mississippi state who would have old miss kentucky and m so does that mean that these coaches should be just like livid um no but if i'm saving do i just sit back and take this no um your chances of changing this now compared to any time in the next year are uh, in the next 10 years are so much more likely like this is fresh cement on the sidewalk of Dunder Mifflin. Michael doesn't have time to just sit there and wait for Phyllis to pontificate some nonsense. He's got to make his mark while he can. This right. is when you make your, cha- your change. You're changed. This is it right now. But if you don't say anything and you just take it, then you're going to look up maybe five, six years from now, going, "Crap! Like, why didn't why didn't I raise a stink about this if I could have? These coaches all beat me before." if I can find some way to get public support on my side and make it seem like we're getting screwed as opposed to coming out and then maybe losing games later on and be like, Oh yeah. You know, I wish we could get this changed. You know, like what Auburn's been dealing with and Auburn's like, Oh yeah, it's not fair that we have to play Bama and Georgia every single year. Yeah, but you're doing
1: it. You're doing it every mm-hmm.
0: single year. So if, if you're saying this after you're losing these games and you're struggling, especially on the road against those teams, we have a different way of treating that as opposed to now when it looks like these things are still in flux and nothing's finalized yet.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm I'm stupid and I looked at what was there for LSU and not what was not there. R.I.P. My Gator slander.
0: Yeah, That's so rough. that would that would fall by the wayside.
1: That That's would, rough. Now I'm sad. That you know, penciling that W every year. Now we got to play who? Oh Miss. Ole Miss has beaten us a couple of times in the last couple of years. True. So look at that. And so is A and M. Can't say that about. Uh, Just kidding, but uh, I I, I dropped on the chat. Someone made a graphic out of it if you want to like reference it because the the tweet is gone, but we could there's a graphic, but yeah, I'm I'm looking up and down because I looked at Florida's and it's like, yeah, I see why they didn't (laughs) see why they didn't give them LSU because they got Georgia, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. Yeah, (laughs)
0: one of the three most difficult
1: for sure. Georgia, Oklahoma in conference, that'd be so bad. And there's not even a reason why they get Oklahoma, it's just like, yeah, you guys are the furthest. West these teams. Your it was experience. like, Dari,
0: Dari brought this up on he was he was like saying how, you know, I hope we kind of have a new rival and it's not just strictly a big 12 thing with Oklahoma. Like you kind of want to see some new blood. So they're, yeah. they're able to do that. And you're able to kind of sell that. Like that's a, the, the possibility of those teams playing on an annual basis is kind of fun. Despite how crappy that 2020 cotton bowl was that game absolutely sucked. But you, you kind of look at some of these things. You're like, all right, I, I kind of get it. And this, this would make sense. There's just no way to achieve perfect competitive balance. What I think, what I, what I want people to remember, if you take away mm-hmm. nothing from this podcast, your team is still going to have a difficult schedule. Yeah, we, there's no easy road here. No, yeah, man, like we're talking about a conference that has had 16 of its last 17 champions play in a national championship. You think you're getting by easy in a divisionless format in which the top two records in this conference and a nine game conference schedule are getting to the conference championship. You think your team is going to find an easy road, like 2015 Florida, 2016 Florida. That sounds like I'm just hating on Florida. I'm not, but you get what I'm saying. Like some of those teams where you're just like, Oh, they would be like fourth in the West. I mean, come on. And we're not going to have those years. And that's a good thing from a competitive standpoint. Again, I'm looking at this in a much different way than you person who was like, why would I want my team to have the three most difficult permanent rivals? That sucks.
1: Listen, too much is given. Much is tested. If you beat everybody the way that Alabama does, every fan base hates you. That's the thing. LSU needs less rifles. I don't want to play. I want to play like Arkansas every year. We don't need five. rivals. We don't need the tiger rag to come back and have six. rivals. No, we need to focus on it. Right. We need to stop making people angry.
0: <laughs> okay. So let me, let me ask you this. Cause T Bob went off about this. If they took Bama off and if Bama LSU
1: wasn't a thing anymore, what would be your initial reaction to that? Um, I would personally like, okay, there's two parts of this, right? I think that from a consumer standpoint, I've often made this point to LSU fans who want to set me on fire when I say it, the LSU Alabama game has not really been a very good television product outside of the last three years for a while because some of the games were close. A lot of them weren't. The 2010s them, decade was, was pretty, like, you w- w- think of some of
0: those Danny Etling games where you're just, like, kind of looking up and going, oh, this is... Yeah, the first Joe Burrow game was
1: a blowout. First, like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, there's, if you are a neutral television viewer, you watch, what, 2011, which was, like, a 6-9 to nine game. LSU came back and won one more Um, after that with... No, 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 that was 2010. So they didn't win after that until 19... All of those games are like LSU just didn't want to play offense and Mammoth just ran them. And so it's like, I think as a neutral viewer, I think the LSU-Florida rivalry has been a way better rivalry to watch because, yeah, Florida's had some down years. LSU has had some kind of mid-years too. And they've I think each of those games has been – there was like the one hilarious one in 2011 where the punter got the unsportsmanlike p- conduct outside they, of that. LSU won
0: in 2011 and then lost
1: in the – Nine six was twenty eleven, and then no. The I'm Austin talking about Florida. I'm talking about LSU beat Florida in 2011. i oh, I'm saying okay. that twenty. I'm saying that the Florida rivalries has really only had like one or two blowouts I can mm-hmm. remember, and one of them was twenty eleven. That was like the punter getting the unnecessary roughness. Uh, Shut up, Brad Wing. Parkview, great. But anyway, so yeah, I think that's been a better rivalry. So like me as a fan, I would I would be fine if they replaced that with Florida. I just didn't want both of them. So like honestly, yeah. I'm cool. Any reality with that one as a fan, of Happy happy
0: There There's part of me that that thinks, and this is. Saban is clearly not in this mindset. You kind of hinted at this earlier. We're going to have to judge records in a different way going forward, in Mm -hmm. a really different way. And everyone is going to look like they're regressing in the SEC in the Big Ten. If you're just looking at overall records and you're looking at win percentage and stuff like that, um, losses will be more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that like schedules are just going to be harder. They just will be harder. And so your eleven and ones, your twelve and O's are going to be man. If you get something like that, you're you're feeling really really good about yourself. What are you
1: playing the Big Twelve?
0: Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like just the SEC and the Big I'm just, Ten. Kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're like regression is is going to be like it's it's inevitable for a lot of these teams. Like if if you're in the Big Twelve, it's a little bit different as opposed to in right now in the Pac-12 and and even in the ACC records kind of kind of the same, kind of similar, but if you're in these conferences that are obviously expanding and you're changing some of your philosophies with the teams that you're playing and the amount of power 5 games that you're playing which that, that's like what the SEC is doing, then yeah, like we're I I don't know if that ends up hurting teams like a Mississippi State or a Kentucky, or an old miss, these teams like, you know, Mississippi State and Kentucky are the the teams that are most guilty of Super favorable non-conference schedule, can't get a winning record in SEC play, get to a bowl game, maybe get to seven wins. And they've been able to cut in like, obviously, they've had their seasons in which they've done more than that. But they historically have been the team that's like non-conference play. Eh, we're not exactly going to overexert ourselves here. We're not yeah. going you said, to. Sorry,
1: which, which teams are that?
0: That's Mississippi State and Kentucky. Those are mm. those are probably the two teams. Listen,
1: what happens when Mississippi State goes out and schedules Memphis? Yeah, see, that's why they don't do that.
0: I mean, like you get what I'm saying, though. Like, no, I do. I'm just playing with you. Yeah, and it it's it is just going to be that much more difficult, I think, to to get to that place. And that is why there's probably still teams that are hoping for one seven, but I don't think one seven is going to happen. It looks like three six. If if that's the if there's the proposed model out there, and if this is already getting to that place. Where they're telling, and that tells me, all right, they're just figuring out the teams. They're just figuring out the teams at this point. They know the format. They're just trying to get all that other stuff figured out. So, like, I look, nobody's gonna luck their way into winning the SEC. You might feel like your team's getting screwed. I, I prompt like even twenty thirteen Auburn, like what many felt like was the the team that lucked its way into an SEC title, um, they even took a historically good Florida state team down to the wire in national championship. So I'd say that they kind of held their own there, but yeah, yeah. any other, they any still other beat
1: Alabama that? and Georgia, notably not LSU. Anyway. So would you say that? So would you say that you are also a member of the three, six mafia? I am a three, six mafia guy. I am 100%. Okay. Um, Look.
0: And I, and I've, I've said that it's not as easy to go to three, six as some are assuming. And mm-hmm. that, that I maintain to be the case. That was also before we found out that the playoff was expanding to 12 teams. Right. teams.
1: That's what I'm that's what I was missing. You're exactly because I was like, why do I feel so differently about this? And it's like, that's why. Uh second thing, you mentioned it. Is there something that pops out to you as far as a really exciting matchup that we didn't have previously that you might be like Florida Oklahoma's one? Is there yeah. one that you're like, oh, this could be cool? Like I I like the idea.
0: I mean, Texas Texas AM. That's the one that I'm most well, that's excited old. to see. Yeah, that's we're gonna old. see. We we're always that's, gonna see that. I'm talking about
1: one that's like, what
0: is this? You know. Yeah, F- Florida, Oklahoma—that's that—that's the one that I feel like is is really interesting because in a given year you would say, all right, this this should be two teams that have really talented quarterbacks and they should be able to light up the scoreboard. You would say that just with a historical perspective, that's probably not taking recent memory into account as much. But if you looked at it through most times in the 21st century, that's kind of how you would picture this game going. And you would say, all right, this is, this isn't Florida LSU, which ironically enough, like both rivalries include Florida. This, this game should be 45, 42 on an annual basis. That to me is exciting to see something like that, but that's, yeah, that's like the new one. And that I think, you know, I, if we want to look
1: at, because Texas, Arkansas is on there. Correct. Look at this, man. Look, these babies in Texas, they got all old big 12, big eight dudes. That's all there. And then of course, Oklahoma gets Florida. (laughs) It's just like, we'll make sure and take care of Texas and put them with all their friends. Oklahoma. You're (laughs) getting
0: Like, I, you know, we're still going to get so much of, 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 these new, like there will yeah. still be new rivalries with those teams and the new teams that they're going to see in the sec. It's just a question of whether or not we're going to see them on an annual basis as opposed to two times in a four year stretch. Like, I mean, for all we know, Texas Alabama could end up becoming like this great rivalry. I mean, we already got a first yeah. chapter in it last year. They're playing each other again this year. We could get to a place where we're like maybe Texas Georgia or something like that becomes yep. awesome on an annual basis. I'm here for that. I'm excited. Like I I don't think that I don't think that every rivalry is as good as every fan base says it is. That's sorry that might be a little bit controversial. Except for
1: my team's rivalry it says everything.
0: <laughs> I, I don't like care people- about those
1: teams rivalry, but mine
0: I like I like a little bit of new blood. I, I I like the traditional stuff. I do, and as long as we're not abolishing too much tradition, you have to uphold a certain amount of that. I'm I'm here for it. So yeah, I mean, the battle of UT could be good. Tennessee, Texas. I mean, that's talk about like you know, potentially having an Arch Manning Bowl or something like that in 2024, like how fun that would be if like Arch Manning is, you know, facing Ole Miss or something like that, or, you know, facing Tennessee, his first two years of college like that, these things would be fun to be able to see, we're getting more storylines, we're getting more things involved, despite the fact that probably most people are going to see this schedule and want to throw up in their mouths.
1: Let me say one more thing, and this is another random pop quiz I'm gonna drop on you with respect to Saban's comments, because another good point, right, is that you know, if you look 10 years ago, right, about Tennessee, not too scary, right? And I mean, but and like South Carolina was like a top five team. And so is there a team that you think could kind of shock us in a way that you know you look at the last 10 years like they did to do the competitive balance. Um, but maybe there's this team out there, I don't know, maybe it's uh Ole Miss, Kentucky, one of these just random teams. I hate to say random, but, like, just new blood guys. Do you think that there's a rivalry that could turn south for a team that we don't really expect? Because, like, what happened to Tennessee? What Somebody hires a new coach, and suddenly it's like, oh, no. Florida, South Carolina. That's the one that I look at, mm. and I'm
0: like mm-hmm. – And that's that's a weird thing to say after Florida just took them to the woodshed. I mean, yeah. Florida beat them like a drum that game, and then South Carolina figured some things out, obviously, down the stretch. But – that's the one where I look at and I'm like, man, if that game isn't a gimme for Florida and they've already got Georgia and Oklahoma, again, these are just proposed. Nothing is official as of yet, but if that's the one where, where South Carolina is suddenly like maybe an eight, four, nine and three every single year. And it's not so much, ah, they're kind of, six and six, they can't really find a quarterback. You go into that one, even though it's kind of, that game has always been kind of weird, basically since Spurrier was at South Carolina, that game's just always been a little bit wonky. Like that's the one where I'm like, Ooh, we could be feeling really, really differently about that. And that can change in in a hurry because we can have these entrenched beliefs about teams that when we see them, it gives us a specific knee jerk reaction. And I think Saban to tie it all back had a specific knee-jerk reaction about Auburn and I get it like you've lost to them three times in the last what I mean decade plus we're talking about here so like you have your knee-jerk reaction there are a lot of us who are standing here going I mean I get Auburn's got the facilities they just had the new facility they just put a ton of money into NIL they would feel good about their hire with Hugh Freeze coming off consecutive losing seasons okay. <laughs> They're not sitting here at, at 2013, 2010, 2004 levels of Auburn, so we could change our perspective of these teams by the time that
1: this schedule even starts, and mm-hmm. that's the crazy thing about it, and that's why we'll probably talk about it a lot more. I'm so sorry. I have one more thing I just thought of that we I feel like we definitely should have talked about out of conference rivalries are those dead no more? Florida FSU? They're not dead. They're not dead. So we're no. gonna get an additional rivalry game to some of these. I mean, obviously every yeah. TV deal is like kind of up in the air, so it also depends on like the ACC what they're doing, but. This allows those games to still potentially be played.
0: Yes. If if the playoff wasn't going to be expanded, I think there would be the pushback. Mm-hmm. But because, OK, now you're setting this up to where you can have more power five games. I am and I'm not saying this is a, a catch all. There could be some that fall by the wayside. Again, I, I don't know the ins and outs of all of these rivalry games. We could see a couple of casualties as a result. Some teams that maybe even maybe they're gonna get three, four years into this. And I don't know if it's I, I hate to keep using Florida as the example, but or like maybe maybe Louisville looks looks at this, or Kentucky looks at this, and Kentucky's like, ah, you know what? Maybe we won't play Louisville every year. That's a you know, that's a dumb example because they beat them like a drum. Um, but maybe there's an example of a team that just kind of realizes, man. South Carolina. Maybe South Carolina looks up and Clemson, says yeah. Clemson. Maybe let's make this an every other year type mm-hmm. thing. Let's figure out a way to make this work for all parties. But no, I, I think these are going to be intact. South Carolina fans just got mad at me for saying that. We know you, you just be Clemson. You be Clemson for the first time since 2014. You should feel good. You should feel good.
1: Yes. And they're well, they're in some of situation that we're with Alabama, which be like, you know, sometimes it would be really nice. If we're kind of going through it. Take a little mental health year, maybe not to play that team We're just get I meant twenty thirteen, by the way. Sorry. Go ahead. Hey. But you're forgiven. But yeah, though no, I think I think that's the the, the the key is if both teams want to play these things, they'll probably get played. If one team starts to get cold feet, probably not. Yeah, probably not. Exactly. Okay.
0: Uh before we kick it to, to Keo Spikes, quick word from our friends at underdog sports betting as you know if you listen to this podcast it is not legal in a bunch of states in the sec georgia alabama florida south carolina etc uh, i want to talk to you about underdog fantasy You might have tried daily fantasy in the past but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money it is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch we have an exclusive arrangement with underdog if you go to saturdaydownsouth.com underdog you can automatically double your deposit when you join sign up throw in 50 bucks they'll throw in 50 more dollars it is a great way to get some money to play on these contests you can pick higher or lower for different players, really similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. This is legal and live in all these SEC states, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. Underdog awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room. You can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com underdog. All right, let's kick it to Tekeo Spikes. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is SEC network analyst and host of Behind the Mask. It is Tekyo Spikes, the ageless Teko Spikes. Uh, I don't think that you're 46. I think that's a lie. Do you feel 46?
2: Yeah, after I played four rounds of golf, my back feels like it. <laughs> okay, so when I'm you tell you, man, but
0: oh. <laughs> When you wake up in the morning, what's the thing that reminds you, I played 15 years in the NFL and I'm 46?
2: I would say it's probably my low back. You know, that's the thing is it's, uh, it takes me a minute to get going. And uh, believe it or not, I've implemented this inside of my, my routine. So I do my meditation in the morning. But I also have to do like a 10 to 15 minute yoga just to kind of get the body loosened up, you know, get it oiled up so I can move around properly. Because it's tough. It's tough, bro.
0: If you neglect the lower back, it's one of those <laughs> things that just kind of creeps up on you, creeps up on you. And you look up and you realize you have a problem. And it impacts everything and back injuries as a, I mean, I don't have to say this to you, you know, this very well, I, I got to imagine that's like one of those things where you you know it when you don't do it. And that's got to feel so significant, just to be able to to wake up and and get everything moving. But, you know, you were just in in my neck of the woods in Orlando doing a little golf tournament. Are you you're like, are you locked into all this like all this stuff pre-draft? Like is this is this stuff that you consume that you're like you're dialed into or is it more like ah eh, once you've kind of gone through it you kind of see through some of the stuff and you realize we we kind of tend to blow a lot of things out of proportion?
2: Yeah, you know I, I'm locked into it, but I don't really get locked in until the guys actually go show what they can do. And you know, once they finish the combine then now it's like, okay, did the guys who we were expected to be the guy, did they really show up? And the guys who, if they did show up, we talk about it. If the guys who we thought were the guy and they didn't do as well as what we thought they should have, then that's another conversation too. And so that's the reason why I'm kind of engulfed into it because now I think when you look at the overachievers or the people who did what they were expected to do, I think now is a great time to have analysts to come in and provide some even ground to bring it back home from reality side, because at the end of the day, you can have offensive guards running around showing they can pull and finishing 30 yards, but how often are they really going to do that? You know what I mean? So, You know, I know people who, and I think this is important, bench press. But, like, you know, when you're out there trying to get off of a block, that ain't, you can't simulate the bench press. Like, the bench press, it is what it is. That's just dead weight. You got to be able to move live weight. So I like to think that being able to come into it and bring some type of, you know, even ground analysis to make it relatable for everybody.
0: Two guys that you recently got to spend time with. You had them on on your podcast behind the mask. CJ Stroud, Hendon Hooker. They're they're getting picked apart, obviously, during the pre-draft process. I think both are kind of in very different discussions in, in just in terms of what they what their strengths are and how they're being evaluated. Whereas like Hendon much more willing as a runner and Stroud is obviously more impressive as, as a passer. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I think the question with them is the same, like how much did they benefit from the systems that they played in, you know, arguably having the best receiver in college football, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Jalen Hyatt. What what was your take on them after kind of getting to to sit down and spend some time with them?
2: My take, I did not know, you know, I only knew what I saw. And so after sitting down with both of them, what impressed me more than anything was the the just the knowledge of what they have in order to get to the next level, understanding how to read defensive. Because I know, as you just mentioned, and a lot of people were talking about, hey, Hendon Hooker, is he, is he a beneficiary of the scheme? And I remember hearing him say, look, don't get mad at me. I'm just throwing to the open man because that's what the scheme provides. And I think what people have to realize is just because it may not be conventional, you still have to understand schematics and you have to understand why you do what you do. And from Hendon, that's what I appreciate about him because even from me watching film, I can tell where he had the matchups and I can tell where he had his his decision-making was It was pre-designed before the snap. If he did not get the look what he wanted or if they didn't play it this way that he was expecting, he would immediately go to the other side of the field. And I think the hardest thing is being a linebacker or even a defensive back is to be able to see quarterbacks who can come up to the line of scrimmage and use the process of elimination. And when you talk about C.J. Stroud, like I have a lot of respect for him just because you, you see him but you don't really watch him just because I'm married into this SEC world, the greatest conference of all time. But with CJ, <clears throat> I fell in love with this conversation, and he just talked about like spikes. I haven't even picked up a weight at all before I even got to Ohio State. So for me, he, you know, and he told telling me this like I had to go overtime to do whatever I can to get the respect of my teammates. And after you get the respect of your teammates, you have to do it on a consistent level. And uh, his ability at the line of scrimmage to not only have the predetermined reads and being able to have a pre-snap analysis, but him being able, them, them giving him the freedom to be able to say, you know what? I don't like this play, let me check this. Let me set line protection. And that's something that I did not know. And so I think now when the coaches had a chance to visit with C.J. Stroud, him telling that story, telling me that story, and I'm sure he's going to tell them the same thing. And I went in and did some research and checked with one of his teammates, and his teammates were like, yeah, but a lot of people don't know that just because we have so many great players and people are so quick to try to say the only way Ohio State wins is because of great players. So I got a lot of respect for both of those guys, and definitely I expect both of them to be – a top round pick will first round pick when it comes to quarterbacks being drafted
0: how would you how would you go about it with with the four quarterbacks that seem to be mocked in the top 10 between Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis that seems to be the consensus top 4 of that group who's the guy that you like the most
2: oh that's tough Oh, Connor, that's tough. You can't be doing me like this, Connor.
0: See, and I would I just wanted to hear an Auburn grad say that Bryce Young is number one prospect. He's the best quarterback in the draft. but but because you you just spent the time with Stroud, I was like, all right, you know, you've seen the three other SEC guys. You've had to, you know, break down their obviously what their strengths and weaknesses watching them on a typical Saturday SEC final. But like has it has that kind of like, do you think like that at all when you look at some of these guys or is it more about like, you know, breaking down, hey, here's what I think they're really good at, and not so much critiquing them. Because obviously those four guys are getting critiqued as much as anybody.
2: Yeah, they are, and as they should. Because, listen, you ain't picking no quarterback in the first round to sit on the bench and be ready from a year or two. the money is too big. So, like, when we talk about – excuse me. You talk about other quarterbacks, I look at Anthony Richardson. Amazing amazing phenomenal when it comes to all of the attributes as far as throwing running being able to 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 be able to fit the ball in tight pockets like he can make all the throws I hate when people say that I hope they should be able to make all the throws if you're going first round right but for me even though I'm an Auburn man and I had a lot of I had a lot of opportunities to see Bryce Young I really like Bryce Young and it was one game in particular for me when they went on the road and played against Texas. And I saw him, it was fourth down on the last drive of the game, and I'm pretty sure you can remember this. He They had a play called. He saw Texas was coming with a zero blitz, but he knew I he had to buy time. He reset the protection and understood I have to make one guy miss. Soon as he got the ball, his eyes immediately went to the guy He shook him, scrambled to the right, threw threw a deep bomb down on the right-hand side. That ended up propelling them to win the game. So when I look at that and I read and I hear coaches talk about it, even Nick Saban praised him after the game, and we rarely hear Nick praise guys during the season because it was that early in the season. I knew he was the real deal and just doing my research. I really like him, and I know a lot of people have questions about oh, he's small, he's small. Well, Kyler Murray is small. You know, so my thing is for these quarterbacks, you got to put them in the right position. You got to put them in the right – you got to put them in the right scheme with the right coaches who can develop them. I think about Anthony Richardson. Like a lot of people were praising him, as they should. But at the end of the day, how – when you look at his weaknesses, how can you – get him with the team that's going to understand that and then that's going to be patient with, okay, this is what we know he's not as strong at, but we can bear with him and kind of raid, keep keep grooming him week after week, week after week until he's ready. But all of the guys are great talents, and I, I'm happy to be sitting here before you today and we're talking about all of these quarterbacks. All of the quarterbacks with the exception of one come from the SEC. So it goes to show you, when you look at the, the the type of quality of players at skill positions, SEC is definitely checking off the boxes for that.
0: Okay, so the one who isn't from the SEC, Stroud. I'm curious uh, on your take on this as a as a former linebacker, because the knock on him is that he's not a willing runner. He can run, and you saw in that Georgia game, he is when he gets out in the open field, like he's he's pretty good with his legs. But when you are game planning for a quarterback and you know he doesn't necessarily want to run, but he can, how do you approach that? Like, what's the defensive strategy? Is it like, you know, Draymond Green backing away from Russell Westbrook, letting him take any shot from the elbow and beyond? Like, do you have to respect it? Or like, how do you play that?
2: Well, if you can have a quarterback in particular, if you know a guy, if he doesn't like to run and that's what you're banking on, then I'm going to create my coverages to complement my pass rush. So if I know he's not going to run and he's sitting back there like the Statue of Liberty, I'll play two-man, pretty much double every receiver, man under, have two safeties over the top. It's, listen, it is, that's one of the best coverages of all time, but it's one of the worst coverages when you play against scrambling quarterbacks. And so when talking to C.J. Stroud, I even asked him about that. I was like, well, what do you think about people saying you you run, you're not running? He was like, look, I do what I have to do to win. Don't knock me. And this was offline. He was like, you can't knock me. For, I'm throwing it to the open man. Like, my guy beat their guy. Like, period. And then I think where he gained my respect, not so much from convincing me from conversation, but I go back to, to the bowl game when they played against Georgia. Honestly, I thought Georgia was going to beat them by two touchdowns at least. And we saw how that game ended out. But to that point, CJ not only took control, I saw several times he was changing the line of scrimmage with the protections. I saw times he was changing the plays. I saw times to where, as you just briefly mentioned, he got out of the pocket and he ran. So to that point, it's all about you. Do what you have to do to win the game. I'm uh,
0: I'm I'm fascinated with with Hooker and his evaluation at the next level. Like he he does this little dead leg thing sometimes. He's got like a he's got a head fake. It's almost like a basketball thing. I, I brought it up on the podcast a bunch of times because the handful of instances in which you see it, you're like, I don't know how you would tackle a guy who's able to do that in the open field. Like if you're 25, you got to have some some tricks up your sleeve. Which he's 25. That's the knock on him. Who's a quarterback that kind of got you with with a really good fake? And you're just like, man, this this wasn't even unbelievable athleticism. This was just like some crafty move that a guy got me on that stands out to you.
2: Nobody, Connor. Nobody. <laughs> I got everybody. What I was trying to get. But I will I tell actually you believe this: that. This is one one guy who. Oh, it hurt me. It really hurt me when I think about this. We were playing um, Brett Favre, and I was with Philly, and I had a chance to end the game. He threw a pick. No, he threw. He we always say defensively, Brett is going to throw you one. You just got to make sure you catch it. He threw one, and I missed it. And I mean, he threw. I mean, he threw some. It had some mustard, ketchup, and everything on it. Came in hot. So I was like, all right. Then the other thing was, all right, if I get a chance to sack him, I'm not missing a sack. I had the same game. I remember coming around him. It was the third down, third and 12. Still remembered it down and distance. I jumped on him for a sack, and Brett was strong. And I don't think he really get a lot of credit for how strong that he was, but uh, I slid off of him, and he was able to, you know, he, he hit me with the Brent Forbes, still found somebody else to complete it. But it was just like that was one, you know, if this, if if there was a play that I could say I wish I could have had that one back simply due to the fact it was the first game of the season, and um, it kept us from winning that game.
0: I was just rewatching the Michael Vick documentary, The 30 for 30, And I went back down the rabbit hole. Like you were there for one of his first starts, and I'm pretty sure I, I think you guys lost like thirty to three. It was it was very lopsided. Um, How different was he compared to other guys that you had to track down? Like when people say he was different, how different was he?
2: Kind of, he was different. Different man, and I'm I'm talking about. It's one thing to say, or to know, like, oh, he's fast. You sit in there with the clicker and you're like, "Uh, uh, he's fast. Your coach is telling you, okay, when Mike scrambles to the left, take a hard angle this way to cut him off. It don't work. Never worked. That's the reason why he kept having people on on our highlight clips. Like he was next level fast, man. And and the thing about it, what he probably doesn't get enough credit for because he was so dynamic with making people miss, and then when plays that were broken down, he would find ways to turn it into an explosive play, is his arm strength. I remember him throwing digs across the middle, like thread in the dark. And he never really got a lot of credit for that, but, like, man, he was special. And I think when you look at other quarterbacks that has come through the National Football League, there really hasn't been one other than with the exception of Lamar Jackson. He's the closest thing that I've seen to him. And I think Lamar came into the game especially early at this stage. He's a better passer, like natural passer than Michael Vick was at that time when he came in.
0: And it's pretty amazing to think that, you know, like yeah. he admittedly didn't study the way that he he should have and you know, when he went back to the Eagles and you know, went through all that stuff, like it is pretty wild to think about what he was able to do without putting in that time and commitment. And I know that's something that, you know, as a defensive player, when a guy's just going rogue all the time, you're probably thinking to yourself like, oh my God, like I, this guy's, you could study all the scheme that you want, but when it breaks down and he's doing something like that, I imagine that moment of, oh crap, like this, we throw everything out. There's nothing you can really do about that.
2: Yeah. That's put it this way. You ever been in a bar somewhere? uh, I don't know if you're married, but you, you haven't been married all of your life. But or even this probably happened when you met your wife. And you see it, you saw her, or you see that one and you you're watching it and you're like, man, if I don't take my shot, if I don't shoot my shot, I'll even I'll never make it. I'll never know if I had the chance. We that's what we that that was the motto when we played against Michael Vick. You shoot your shot. Don't get up there and try to dance with him. Because if you dance with him, you will be slow dragging while he's already fast dragging to the end zone. So it was like you go ahead and you dive, you make him stop, and let the cavalry come behind you, so you're not embarrassed.
0: It's pre-draft season. Uh, what was the knock on you going into the combine? Was it that like teams wished you were six three? Like they're like ah, maybe his neck is too big. Like what what were they saying about you?
2: See, kind of see, there you go. You're trying to slip one in.
0: I don't didn't. Blame I went, me, me.
2: Don't blame me for your shortcomings, Kyle. I
0: went 20 minutes. I you went 20 you. minutes without saying a single thing about about your neck, and I think that's a record.
2: Well, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but I would say uh, they had questions about my past capability, just because we played a scheme to where we We really didn't man, you know, man up the backs, Or we didn't play a lot of man, we played a lot of zone. And what we used to do was take our safeties and if we did have somebody break the box, the safeties would go break the box and take the person man and the, the backers would stay inside. So that was one of the things that they had on my draft report that I remember. And, um, hell, what is it? 20 years later, 20, whatever it is, uh, but I got 20 interceptions, so you know what I mean? So I knew I had hands, you know what I mean? So it was just a matter of time. Did you look forward to the combine?
0: That seems like something that, I mean, I I don't – did you run the 40, by the way, at the combine? I couldn't find any 40 numbers for you.
2: No, I didn't. I actually pulled my hamstring like 10 days before the combine. And um, one of the worst – I just felt like, oh, Lord, I don't, I don't, I love school early as a junior and I'm getting ready to go to Indy and give them the business. And I can't even run because I pulled my hamstring, but I had a lot of treatment done. I did not run the 40, but I did all of the drills. And from the drills, it was like, okay, we, we like it. You know, we we like what we saw. So I ran the 40 when we got back to Auburn on our pro day.
0: Your draft was nuts. I mean, what like one of historically like one of the best drafts ever. Obviously, like the Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf thing leading up to it. I mean, Charles Woodson coming off the board early. But I remember as a Bears fan being so upset that they took Curtis instead of Randy Moss, and just being livid as like an eight year old kid. Which obviously, like take that for what it is. He was in free fall that day. You went ahead of Randy Moss. Were, were you in the green room for for that draft? And do you remember like the the drama and experiencing all that?
2: Uh no I didn't but I heard about it see back then they didn't they only invited like the top 3 maybe 5 anticipated players who were going to go top 5 versus now they do the entire first round so for me it was more so of um i i had a draft party at planet hollywood in california back when it was popping and um my agent was there. That's why I trained at. But I, I remember that about Randy Moss. And we all knew as players, like this dude can play. We came out of high school with each other, USA Today All Americans. So I, I knew what he can do. And obviously they did too. But they were afraid of, you know, just the perception of, you know, just off the field stuff. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's what I remember about it.
0: You told my guy, Brian Stoltz, a couple years ago that you spurned in-state Georgia because when you went on your visit there, they they kind of took you for granted as an in-state guy. They're like, ah, no, we don't need to pay him as much attention. So you went to Auburn instead. If you couldn't have gone to Auburn, maybe they did something ridiculous, like pulled the scholarship last minute or something like that, which I don't know why they would have done that. But just hypothetically, where would you have ended up at?
2: That's a good question. It's <laughs> a very good question. I actually committed to Florida State, and a lot of people don't know this. I was a big Derrick Brooks fan. He was my host when I went there and um Florida State was that school but I actually decommitted from Florida State after I went to Auburn. And I I just felt like it was right. And the thing of what really sold me on Auburn was so many they had went what, like 19 and 0 or something like that. With well, 11 and 0 the first year then 9-1 and 1 And um, as I kept looking at them defensively, it was like, who is that guy? And it really, they did it collectively. You know, I knew about the guys in the secondary, but it really wasn't like that one guy up front. And so I was like, that's where I'm going to be the guy. You know, and so that's, you know, that was the reason why I went to Auburn. Uh, Like you said about Georgia at that time, they really didn't, the emphasis or the premium was more so put on players who came from out of state. You know, and I think when you look at that time period over the years, why they lost a lot of players, if that recruiting stayed the same, from my experience, I'm pretty sure other in-state guys felt the same way. So um, I think that that has something to do with it.
0: Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think of what Kirby's done in-state, out-of-state now. It's like they get the best of both worlds. It seems like. Um, I want to yeah. get you out of here on some uh, some rapid fire, just <clears throat> five questions. First thing that comes to mind, does that work for you? Yep, let's do it. All right, so you said at SEC Media Days that South Carolina would beat Georgia on a scale of one to ten, with ten being like the most regrettable thing you've ever done. How much did you regret that one?
2: I regretted it up until week seven, eight. Okay. Because then that's when um, South Carolina went on the road. Right? You remember when – God, who who did they play against? Oh, I can't remember, but everybody was playing well. They were scoring like 30-plus points a game. That's what I thought I –
0: Like the Kentucky Kentucky game after that? Okay.
2: Yep. Yep, after the Kentucky game. Yep. That's when I thought, you know what, Spencer Rattler is going to take this team to the next level. I thought he was going to be doing that early in the season. But, you know – that was that that was a uh, might like was a little far stretched, <laughs> but I just wanted to see if y'all were paying attention.
0: We were. We always are. You know that. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm stealing this question from Cole Kubelik and Aaron Murray. Uh, Girl Scout cookies or Oreos?
2: Girl Scout cookies? You kidding me? Dozy those Oreos don't even they don't even deserve no room in my pantry at all, unless they pay
0: Cole's not gonna like that one. He's gonna he's gonna get at you on that one. I guarantee it. He's definitely all team offensive, Listen,
2: kind of all offensive linemen love Oreos. Even my co-host, 2 Reyes. Ray, We get a pack of Oreos in here. I call them Mister Row Off the Rip. You know what that means? He soon as he opens it up, he's going to be eating an entire row in one setting. Period. Roll off the rip.
0: It's because they're that good. They're worth it. I'm Timorio as well, by the way. Um, okay, true or false? You felt the presence of my guy Gene Chiswick, every time you sat in that seat in the studio.
2: False. But I had some great stories. What I did, I didn't feel the presence, but I heard the stories that Chizik left from uh, CD. Also, Dory. They all left great stories from Chiz.
0: Jizz is the man. He's the absolute best. He's this is the number Please, one Gene Jezzic podcast in in existence. So yeah, you're preaching the
2: choir.
0: <laughs> on uh, have you ever faked an injury to get a timeout? That's a yes.
2: That's Athlete, a yes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, last one for you. Uh, you told me the first time that you came on when I met you at uh, at SEC Media Days that. The only thing that you work out for is a bedroom body so that you can light two candles at night and your, quote, old lady can appreciate when you take your shirt off. Uh, Why do you hate leg day?
2: No, I I do leg day, but I I hate it because it hurts so damn bad. Like, the thing about leg day is this. When you do leg day, like, now you got to go get cryo. Now you got to make sure you stretch. It's like it's hard enough to get the engine to get started running in the morning. So when you do leg day, it's like puts you behind like an hour before you really can get moved up and get a good lather. compared to like upper body. You can go and do that. You flex a man. We can go on about our day.
0: That's true. That's a good point. It does slow down everything you do. Like even just going to get lunch, you're like, oh, this is taking a lot longer than it really should. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Hey, and definitely you don't want to sit in the chair that's below sitting below parallel
0: kills you can't do it it's like practically you're like doing a wall sit what's the point of that you're like continuing the workout
2: I know it man so you feel
0: my pain totally we you and I two of the same we're probably lifting the same weights yes 100% yeah definitely that's that it point.
2: man that's it we just got to keep the old lady happy with the two candles that's it.
0: Two candles. I haven't forgot that. I haven't forgot that. I can't say that I apply that logic in my life, but I haven't forgotten that.
2: And then if you happen to be falling off of your regimen, your schedule, just blow out one candle. <laughs> Let the shadows handle everything else. <laughs> we'll
0: end with that, uh, this would be great, man. Everyone go subscribe to Behind the Mask. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at SEC Media Days yes. in a few months, man.
2: I'll see you soon. What's
1: my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates for You
2: never know what you're going to get.
0: Figuring out, we're talking sleep. Will, how much sleep do you get per night? And how much sleep do you wish you got per night?
1: Uh, right now, it's disrespectful. It's like four or five hours. It usually is. What? Like six yeah, it's bad, man. Over the last like couple of weeks, at least, because I've been traveling and I've been like just having to like work late. Um, but. Usually at six or seven, I want it to be eight. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody wants it to be eight. Who gets it though? Like who
2: yeah. Who
0: consistently gets eight hours of sleep? I'd, I'd love to know. I aspire to usually do not get there. I'm in bed by like 1030 and more often than not, I wake up before my alarm goes off, which usually I have it set anywhere between like six 30 and seven. Um but yeah, like over the weekend. Yeah, I know it's bad. It's really anywhere
1: bad. between. Wait, hold on. What do you mean anywhere between six thirty? So it'll. So be... you feel like this is a six thirty-five type of day? Like, no. Like some days,
0: uh, some days I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get a workout in in the morning because it's hot as death in Florida, Right. and I'll wake up at six thirty and I'll get my workout in before my day starts. My day usually starts at like seven forty-five, eight o'clock. So other days, Lauren has a little bit of extra work to do. So she'll wake up at 6.15, 6.30. So she sets the alarm and then she'll hop in the shower or something like that. And I wake up with that. So I'm like, it's kind of all over the place. I, I should I should say it's pretty much anywhere between like 6.15 to 7 o'clock. And I do not wake up at 7 anymore. It's bad. Yeah. Like it's always before 7. And over the weekend, we actually, we put up blackout curtains in our bedroom. And Massive. They are big. I love like we order them for the nursery as well. Just we would like our baby to be able to sleep through the night and not wake up because her her window is going to kind of face like where the sun comes up. So it's going to be a little bit difficult. But yeah, I'm a believer. I I am. Um it's not that they're a guarantee that you sleep through the night, but you know, like they they are very helpful. They they really are. Like, you know, the feeling of waking up, seeing sunlight, and then like coming into coming into your room and knowing like how difficult it is to go back to sleep like that, like maybe go to the bathroom or something. And then you're like, ah, it's light out. And I'm, you know, this is difficult to go back to, sleep. I don't know. I, I struggle with that. It doesn't change the fact that birds chirp and they don't stop chirping at six in the morning. dude, that. that's
1: like, you're hitting on like, I think it's like a bottom, literally like a bottom 10 feeling. Right? I'm not even being dramatic where you wake up and you have like 15 minutes before your alarm oh. is about to go off and you're like sick. Like the, the the nightmare number is like twenty because at twenty I can start to convince myself I'll go to sleep. It'll take me ten minutes to go to sleep, and I'm more tired when I wake up. It is the worst, and it happens like. And I think like people like us are just like they're like very like I guess like I hate to say we're very productive, but it's like you're kind of like paranoid to get your day started. Yeah. So once you like once you have the thought that the day has started, there's no longer a thought to go back to the last day it started.
0: I tell myself if it's any time after six when I wake up, unless it's like six oh five, and I just know. I really need to get that extra 45 minutes of sleep. Right. If I wake up at 6.05, it is really difficult for me not to tell myself, oh, this will be good. You're going to have such a productive day because you just got up a little bit earlier. You're going to be eating breakfast by 6.45. You're going to be at your computer by 7.15. Think about the amount of work that you're going to be able to knock out before lunch. And then let, that's how my brain works every single time. And I'm like, oh, you've got this column that you got to write today. You've got this podcast segment. You're going to do this radio show. You're going to do this. And then I'll tell myself, so we're up now. <laughs> so it's 6.15 <laughs> right. and we're up now. And I'm going to look at my phone for like 10, 15 minutes. And and then we're up and the day has started. And that's how we get sleep deprived. That's it right there. If we could just automatically know we were going to actually sleep to our alarms, man, that's a game changer. I've thought about this. I'm curious your take on this. If you could have the ability to do one of two things you could sleep to your alarm guaranteed for the rest of your life or you could stay up all night and never get tired food would digest you wouldn't have to worry about any of that stuff and you could just stay up all night never get tired never worry about anything
1: which one would you choose oh definitely option b i try to do that still having to get sleep i just yeah and i i think i think for me it's just like I'm really like competitive and I do a lot of competitive stuff and I just always think to myself like well if I can't if I'm not doing this someone else is and so it's like turn like I you know I talk I play games competitively I work out I take my job super seriously so like once once my day ends which is often at seven or eight anyway like from work then it's like I gotta get in the gym I like I was on set the last two days and I'm mad at myself I didn't work out I'm like what are you what's wrong with you bro like go to sleep yeah Lauren will Lauren will take Saturday
0: afternoon naps that's Like that, that's her thing. And especially now, like being seven months pregnant, she, she enjoys being able to to take a nap because sleeping through the night is obviously really difficult, but it's like, she'll do that. And then I'll tell myself during that time, like, oh, I could either nap or I could be productive. I could plan the podcast for Monday. I could get a quick workout in. If I haven't worked out yet in the day, I can read uh, a book on, you know, pregnancy. I can even watching a 30 for 30 on like somebody like an sec story doc about something that I like, I'd like to be able to brush up on just to be more Mm -hmm. knowledgeable about a specific subject. I am always thinking of prioritizing these other things ahead of sleep. And it's so dumb. It's, and I'm admitting it's wrong. Like, and Lauren tells me this all the time. She's like, you're, you're not going about this the right way as an adult. And I agree. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm 100% not, but I have to hit that breaking point. I have to hit that point where I'm like, man, I, I can't even stay awake. So like my, the other day, for example, waking up at five 40 for, for the 10 K come home, body's tired. Obviously I'm going to take a nap at some point. I've earned that nap. I'm telling myself we're shutting it down for the rest of the day. I'm, I know I'm going to need that 45 minute nap. I get it eventually. But I have to talk myself into it, and I definitely watched, you know, I watched like a documentary for for like an hour or something like
1: that, and I had to get to that point where I'm like, mm-hmm. it's okay. You feel like you've done enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I've done you gotta Like you got to like re- rationalize yourself. Like I've been productive yeah. enough today. Yeah, I think, and I've never been like a nap guy, and another terrible feeling is budgeting the time for a nap and giving yourself that and not being able to nap. Oh, and like, that's I. That's really the worst. Yep. I run into that all the time with Brittany's family because they're nappers and I'm just not, they're like a family of bears. They're like a little cartoon family of <laughs> bears and they just wake up early in the morning and they just come home and curl up into little croissants and go to sleep. And I'm just like, I can't do this. I need- it's 2 PM. What is everyone doing? And so they'll sleep for like two hours and then just reemerge and go do stuff until like eight or nine. And I'm like, how is everyone okay right now? I'm so tired. Yes. And so the people that can strategically nap cherish it like was it like uh uh, billy madison like cherish it like i wish i could nap so badly but i just can't get myself there when i do i wake up groggy because i don't have the nap reps
0: stay here as long as you can
1: (laughs) go to sleep right now i want to go to high school billy um i
0: have a few uh sleep pre-sleep rituals not not a ton i I I just hear this no, no, no nothing nothing crazy nothing crazy i'm not sitting here pouring myself a glass of warm milk, like a psycho. Um, I'm not hating on you. If you do that, I just think that's a weird move. (laughs) I try not to eat an hour and a half before bed. Mm -hmm. I break that sometimes, whatever. If I have moose tracks at nine 15, I've moose tracks at nine 15. Okay. Um, Yeah. Treat yourself. If I don't pee, brush my teeth or floss before bed, I can't fall asleep. Got to do all three of those things. Got to check all those boxes. If I don't, I'm sitting there, I'm playing with my teeth. And I'm like, ah, this, my mouth feels dirty. My Bladder feels full. No, no, no. Can't have that. Can't I got to get there with flossing. It. Yeah, I got to get there. Flossing is once you start, you won't stop. I promise mm-hmm. you. And I didn't make that transition until I was in like my mid-20s. Bad move. But once you start, you'll feel you'll feel that piece of chicken in your tooth forever. And it's mm-hmm. just going to gnaw at you constantly. I need the fan on the second highest setting. I don't want it on the highest setting. I don't want it on full blast. I don't need all that noise. I need some noise. Second highest keeps me cool, provides a little bit of that white noise in the background. 71 degrees in my home. Hotels probably somewhere in the mid to high 60s. One thing I'll never understand. Maybe you can correct me here. I don't get midnight snacks. I don't understand it. For the life of me, I have never woken up in the middle of the night and thought to myself, I could use some food right now. I haven't. It's one thing to get a late night snack before you go to bed, crave right. a little snack late night, but to wake up in the middle of the night and say, "You know what? Sandwich sounds good." I have a buddy, one of my Nebraska buddies. He religiously wakes up in the middle of the night. He has to have milk and cookies. Has to. Is your buddy a bear? My or buddy is. The, he's Santa the most. Claus? He's the most fit guy I know. That's <laughs> oh, the crazy no thing. <laughs> that, it makes no sense. Like this dude works out religiously. I mean, like to the point where i I mean we went on a cruise with them, and he's in the in the hotel like the the cruise gym for two hours. he reads a book while he's doing cardio he's a psycho oh my God. and he has milk and cookies in the middle of the night, like what you know what, what? good for him that rules in his specific case.
1: keep doing that, buddy. <laughs> I don't know if he's still doing it with two kids, but he's like he needs know. it even more now those cookies are there for you as long as you're, you're like wow if you could budget all that and milk and cookies bro please get milk and cookies everybody else probably don't do that yeah no i, I just don't get it and maybe i should just appreciate
0: the fact that like all right you know what went to bed with a, a belly full of food as a kid haven't had to worry about that as an adult like that's a blessing i'm appreciative of that but like yeah i just never understood the midnight snack premise i, I think that's that's a made-up thing that's a commercial thing i don't know
1: Well, yeah. Once I wake up, then I'm up. Like I said, I I make a snack and then I'm like, ah, you know, I should probably do some dishes. And I'm like, it's been two hours, bro. You're up. It's 2 a.m. What are you doing? Exactly.
0: Exactly. All right. Let's go get to the Saturday Down South podcast, Facebook group. A lot of great responses. Let's start with this one from our guy, Drew Page. Drew says, I have insomnia. So if I fall asleep, I don't stay asleep. Nothing really helps. And I've had it almost my entire life. But do you really work in healthcare if you're not always horribly tired? I don't know how people in healthcare can have normal sleep schedules. That element alone would drive me away from that field. Obviously I'm not brave enough to do what our great healthcare workers do, but the sleep schedule thing, not being able to set a schedule would just drive me absolutely bananas of like knowing, Oh, I'm on call for this. Or, you know, I'm, I'm working a 24 hour shift here. Oh, I'll get, you know, I'm not going to be out working for three or four days here. Like the fluidity of that would be, it would drive me to insomnia that like like druids, I, I I couldn't deal with that could not
1: yeah it that just seems like a like a flawed system right because like everybody in healthcare says it and obviously I'm dumb so I don't understand any of this works but it just feels like there should be like night night shift healthcare workers and day shift healthcare workers so that everybody kind of gets into a routine because it feels like, you know, everybody is tired. The night shift people are tired. The day shift people are tired. Like well, some of these people are doing, you know, high operation. So it's like, it's not their fault. It's like the system. but it's a, It just feels ridiculous for people. It's like, you are going to trade your mental health and happiness for this career of helping people. It's like, uh, it feels weird. I don't know why. I don't know why you just have to be I know it's a 24 hour job. That's part of it. But it's like, hey, let's figure it out, man. Don't don't keep putting these people through this. Agreed. Yeah. Ideally, people would be able to
0: work relatively normal schedules and we wouldn't have to deal with that. And instead, like you get people where you can tell they've worked a ridiculously long shift. And you're like, you you probably haven't slept in forever. And it shows in, in their work. And that's really frustrating as well. Uh, Scott Boland says, I'm a teacher. I'm in bed at 9 p.m. with lights, devices, and TV off at 10 p.m. I prefer no lights or background noise, but I must confess that um, that I do find my snoring p- plugs – I think he meant plugs, not pugs uh, – soothing. I typically sleep very well and I'm up at 5
1: a.m. every morning. No, I routine- think he means the dog, Pugs. Oh, I, think it's, oh, oh, I think it's snoring pugs, dogs. are making Oh, that makes
0: more sense. I was thinking earplugs. You're ear right. Okay. Because yes. they do be. Yes. <laughs> snoring pugs are soothing. <laughs> snoring plugs are not a thing. Um, I stand corrected. Uh, and then he says, yeah, I typically sleep very well up at 5 a.m. Every morning routine seems to be key. However, it is also a negative. Even if I have the opportunity to sleep late on the weekends, I tend to get up early because of that same routine. What age do you stop getting the ability to sleep on the weekends? When does that happen? Never. I mean, probably when you have kids. So. <laughs> I I I can't sleep on the weekends anymore. Like I I I don't know when that ability just became. Nope, Connor. You you, you think you're sleeping till seven fifteen? You're gonna try to sleep till seven fifteen? Yeah, I don't care if you stayed up till eleven fifteen watching a movie or something like that. No, 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 no. You're not getting up at seven fifteen. You're gonna wake up at 6 45. You're gonna wake up at maybe seven. Maybe you're not gonna have an alarm clock set, so it's not gonna matter. You're gonna wake up and that's all. And I don't, I I think that happened to me. Gosh, when did that happen? Like 28, 29?
2: Is mm-hmm. that right?
0: I don't know. You're still at
1: you're still like right at that age though, because you can sleep in just fine, can't you? So I think I'm starting to realize that my situation is predicated on the fact that while I'm awake, people are constantly hitting up hitting me up and like asking me to do things. And so I can only find peace when everybody else is asleep. So I think that I stay up. Uh, this is making me realize because I've started to think about I'll start to text you something and realize it's 1130. I'm like, this dude just asleep. I'm gonna wait till tomorrow. Which is a good friend move, uh? Because why would I text you if you're asleep? But I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, am yeah i am i have always slept later. I've always slept like ten or eleven, but I can stay up until three or four if I need to. Um, but I think that's because my stress melts away as other people go to sleep. Not you, but like my, you know, other people in my life. <laughs> okay, so you you can still stay up till three or four. Oh, oh yeah, I did that like last night. Oh my god. Because I play oh, games. Wednesday? So like, yeah.
0: Dang. I couldn't, I just couldn't like, I gosh, even on, unless I'm, unless we're at like a wedding or something and you're going all out and even that, yeah. I mean, that's like, I, okay. So the only recent example I have of sleeping past like seven, seven fifteen was peach bowl was peach bowl right. working until three, writing, writing another, getting back to the, to the hotel at four writing a column for an hour going to bed from four to eight 30 and then waking mm-hmm. up and recording a podcast hopping on a flight coming back Jeez. like that's that like and and that was sleep until eight 30 and i set my alarm yeah and i woke up at eight 30
1: no yeah and i mean i'm looking at um looking at scott i'm just like this seems so much better than what i do i wish i could just turn my phone off and be like Leave me alone, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Honestly, this is my fault. The more I think about it, I'm just like, why do I give people access to me in this way? I should just be like, I'm asleep. Go away. Yeah, you should. Like the, the do not disturb thing. I yep. mean, it's, it's huge. I, I took vibrate off my phone like a long time ago.
0: That's the worst, man. Like,
1: oh, so you're like, you've gone straight. It's ringer vibrate nothing. It's just like, you'll see me when you see me. Yeah, no,
0: I'm, I'm not having my phone vibrate in the middle of the night. It'll light up in the middle of the night. But I, I won't have it vibrating because I used to get on like, I don't mean to throw her under the bus, but like, I'm convinced that my mom doesn't process time zones, even though I've lived in the Eastern time zone <laughs> for, gosh, 12 of the last 15 years of my life. And she will text me at like 10 or something like that and or like 10 her time, 11 my time when I'm like, I've been asleep for like a half hour, or an hour here. Like, what are, what are we doing here? And she'll like send like multiple texts or something like that. I love my mom, love my mom. But sometimes I'm like, we're, we're, we're in different worlds right now. She's on the West coast. She's in Palm Springs right now. Mm-hmm. So that time difference is they're like, they're at dinner or something. And she's, you know, texting me about something like that. It's seven 30 for her. It's 10 30 for me. And we're like, we're just not in that mode. I'm like going to bed and she's like, hey we're heading out for the night or something like that and it's like not on the same wavelength at all and i i don't let that disrupt my sleep i'll get to it in the morning yeah i did i did the well
1: okay quick <laughs> I agree with that about, like, my mom does that, too. And we're only Eastern Central different, but she'll ask me what time something is. I literally, I work at TV, so it's perfect. I'm like, 8, 7 Central. And she's like, I, t- I thought you said 8. And then no, 7 Central. It's in the... Te-. And so, like, that's always funny. And then my mom is always around the earth somewhere, so she'll text me at, like, 3 a.m. from, like, Italy or whatever and whatever. But, like, last last Sunday, this is... I'm, I'm the jerk here, for sure. I was staying up late, just got it off of my games I play. And I was, like, realized that uh, she was going to come up and have lunch with me. And I had told her a restaurant and I knew that I would be sleeping till 10 and we were supposed to get uh, uh, food at noon. And so I was like, how can I avoid my mom calling me at 8 a.m. and waking me up? I'm just going to shoot her a little texty text. And I was like, hey, this place, this time. See you tomorrow. Love you. And bro, immediately like five texts. Why are you awake? Are you okay? Then I was like, oh, no, I woke her up.
0: (laughs) That's the worst, too. And there's there's always like a little bit of remorse that you feel for that, but At the end of the day, there's just only so much that you can do. There's just Mm -hmm. this like you're going to be sometimes you're going to be woken up in the middle of the night, especially when you're not living in the same place as your parent. That is just reality. You're just going to have to kind of bite the bullet on that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to this. Let's do let's do a couple more here. Uh, This one from Derek Walden. Derek says, I try to get seven, eight hours a night. uh, But since we've had the kid, we're not in bed till around 12, then waking up every two to three hours for him to eat. Uh, flat sheet. Oh yeah. That was one of the questions I asked like flat sheet. Yarna flat sheet is the sheet that's below the comforter for all my dudes out there who don't know Mm -hmm. what a flat sheet is. It'll change your life. Like flossing. You should do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. pro flat sheet guy. I am definitely. Um, he says, yes, flat sheet is a must and is probably the only cover I'm under. Uh, I sleep very hot, so I have to have it cool. My wife, like most wives likes to cuddle. Uh, But I can't have anyone or anything touch me while I'm trying to go to sleep. And the fan is on year round. Yes. Uh, We -hmm. have the sound machine on lately for the baby. And I seem to be falling asleep faster than normal. But it could also just be because I'm not getting as much sleep as normal. So I'm just tired. Yeah. um, All that checks out. If I had a nickel for every time somebody has told me better get your sleep. in now you're not going to sleep when you have a kid. I believe it. I believe it. I have now gotten to the point where I look at people differently who don't have kids and I can tell that they get more sleep. I I, like, I really do. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you look great for your age. You look unbelievable. Oh yeah. You probably don't have, you don't have kids like (laughs) your sleep's not interrupted constantly. I'm, I'm ready for that. It's going to be a difficult adjustment. It will like waking up every two to three hours because right now I'm in a nice little groove. Like these last few weeks, I'm like, I'm sleeping through the night. I'm waking up early, but I'm at least sleeping through the night, and I'm I'm hitting those REM cycles and all that stuff. But like, man, Derek knows. He knows every two to three hours, and then you can get into the sleep training stuff. Like, what do you? This is getting into to to baby talk. We're we're focusing on sleep, but if I sur- if I can survive this, if I can get through this this part of my life where my sleep is going to be interrupted, I think I'll be a lot stronger for it. That's what I'm telling myself.
1: Here's a sleep related question, Connor. Are you a big spoon or a little spoon guy?
0: So the fact that I paused there is not a good look. <laughs> look, I'm not uh, not not while sleeping either. That, that doesn't happen. Nah, not while sleeping. No, 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 no. We got a king size bed. We spread out. No, 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 no. That's that's not happening. I sleep hot. No, we're not. We're not doing that during during sleep. I will say, the little spoon is more comfortable undoubtedly like the little spoon is guaranteed to be more comfortable every single time so it's i am big spoon 90 percent of the time i'm big spoon despite the fact that i'm two inches shorter than my wife so what king king uh little spoon is more comfortable it is everybody knows that it just is You don't have to do anything awkward with your hands. Your arm doesn't fall asleep. You get that nice relaxation. You feel very protected. There's a reason that when like animals sleep in specific places, they like to feel like they have protection around them and it just kind of helps them relax a little bit. Little Spoon's more comfortable. It just is. What about you?
1: I do. I sleep on my back mainly. Um, I'm too much of like a hot sleeper to really almost ever be a big spoon. I sleep on my back and then Brittany just kind of like cuddles up next to me. So I'm like a half, like a a standard spoon, I guess, where she's like on top of me, but I'm on my back. But then my thing is I always grew up sleeping on my side. So if I can't sleep, I like turn away and like face the other way. And then I'll just wake up as a little spoon. I'll be like, what a pleasant surprise. This is great. Have
0: you ever gone to a mattress store and been asked the question, do you sleep on your side or on your stomach? Have you ever been asked that?
1: i could not sleep on my stomach
0: well that's good they tell you they i swear if you go to a mattress store and they get into the whole like layout because they're trying to figure out all right what bed is best for you blah 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 whatever if you tell them that you sleep on your stomach like it's like telling them hey um i I, i'm not really much of a i'm not really a fan of the beatles like that's how they treat it
1: <laughs> like, i was trying to say I was like is it like you it's like they're treating you like you have cancer like you don't like the Beatles. i'm glad that you brought that around because it's like oh no you just don't get sleep oh you're not like a real sleep fan okay i'm a day one sleep fan i like, would never do such a thing real people
0: sleep on their side psychos sleep on their stomach no i i'll sleep <laughs> on my stomach i don't care like I'll, I'll sleep mostly on my side i don't fall asleep on my stomach usually but yeah like they oh my god like They've, Lauren almost exclusively sleeps on her stomach. Not now because being seven months pregnant sort of, you know, definitely yeah, definitely prevents that. Um, but they gave her like the full rundown of, "Holy cow, you you are doing your your body just such an injustice by possibly sleeping on your stomach. How dare you? How dare you? Awesome. Brother,
1: I cook out two days ago. You think the stomach sleeping is going to kill me?
0: <laughs> All right." I'm like, man, I, you don't know what I had for dinner. I had a large meal. I need to sleep on my stomach, man. You can't sleep on your side with a large <laughs> meal. You're all that gurgling going around. Um, Let's go to this one from Grant Haney. Grant says, my wife and I are both teachers, so having an unofficial bedtime is a must. We try and be in bed by 9.30. Anything past 11 p.m. on a weekday feels like 2 a.m. preach. However, we have a daughter uh, that is the goalie for our high school varsity and club soccer team. So during the season, the thought of a 9.30 bedtime is out of the window, although uh, having an SDS podcast to listen to on the ride home definitely helps ease the pain of missing the unofficial bedtime. As far as the standard night sleep is concerned, standard procedure it's glass of water check locks on the doors uh turn lights off before calling it a night lastly concerning devices to help you sleep like a fan blackout curtains white noise machine melatonin the answer is all the above because it is always all the above yes it is absolutely 100% of the time um yeah i've never been like a melatonin while sleeping type guy i always told myself it's similar to my uh, music while working out thing I'm like I don't want to have to rely on anything that's the way that I've always operated so while I'm definitely not opposed to it and I've heard a lot of good things about it um that to me has just never been like really a thought or a concern how about you
1: uh wait sorry say over time uh, melatonin
0: like never never oh. really been my thing never never I told myself like stay off that. Just so that I don't have the reliance on it. That's that's what I don't
1: want. Yeah, no, I I'm a huge melatonin guy, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm able to sleep as well as I do and still be a functional adult because it like kicks you right into REM sleep. Like all of my sleep is REM, and I just pop up ready to go. If you haven't, leave us a five
0: star review, subscribe to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the S Pod at Sat Down South. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grit. You can do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group with your name red on air with figuring out or golden brash. Thanks guys. Talk soon.